Uh, welcome back. Today we're talking to Martin Pretty from Equitable Investors. Martin runs the Dragonfly Fund, small cap, micro cap fund that's got a four-year track record. Martin, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Chris. Thank you for having me on. Martin, tell us a bit about the fund and your background. Sure. So my background is as a fundamental analyst focused on you know, micro to mid-cap industrial, tech, financial services, businesses. Um, probably the most interesting time in my career was working with Thorny Investments, a well-known family office that uh, has a history of high conviction investments in businesses that are kind of outside the top 100 or even top 200 and um, putting long-term capital to work and being really constructive in engaging with those businesses. And that's kind of the philosophy that I have and we're brought to equitable investors in that we believe that the greatest um, opportunity for excess return is where everybody else isn't, which means we think the largest companies are the least opportunistic and we go hunting where there's less broker coverage or no broker coverage and uh, less institutional interest. And we're really constructive in the way we go around things. We like to know our companies well, know executives, know people on the board, communicate with them regularly, throw ideas around with them where we think we might know something that may add value. Occasionally, we've, I personally have joined the board of some of our investments. We've helped them raise capital. Um, and that's, that's our approach in general. And we believe that's the greatest way to um, pursue excess returns in the Aussie equity market. And you're doing this both in the listed and unlisted space. Correct. So we're predominantly listed um, and that's always the core of the portfolio, but we allow for up to 20% unlisted. And we've had three investments at the current time that are unlisted. Uh, we've had to revalue one due to some significant news flow. And that means currently we now sit with over 25% unlisted. Um, and that will remedy itself in time with realising some of those investments, but probably more in the short term from new capital flows we expect into the fund. We like to be long-term investors. We, I mean, we, we will, we, we're dictated by price. So we think price will dictate your potential return. Um, so everything ultimately will come down to price. But where we see a really great opportunity and we see that company uh, continuing to make strides to um, capitalising on that opportunity, we'd, we'd like to stay invested and um, be there for that journey. And most of the core positions in our portfolio, listed or unlisted, we've held for some time and we hope, hope to continue to hold them and enjoy the ride. I guess it's a bit of yes to all of those things. So when we invest in something, we assess our valuation and our valuation would generally be looking at what the opportunity represents in value maybe three years out as a typical example, but we, it depends from opportunity to opportunity and working that back at what the cost of capital to us would be to the price we'd pay today. Um, as we go along, having made that investment decision, um, a change in the investment thesis would definitely make us check whether we really want to continue that position. Does it still hold? Should we be taking a step away? Um, occasionally we invest in things where the price gets really hot and when it gets too hot, we wouldn't be shy depending on the situation from realising those returns. And the last 12 months coming out of the downturn in March 2020 on the back of the epidemic uh, coming through, we, we probably had higher turnover than normal. 
And we had some opportunities where a stock was really sold down heavily. We happened to know the stock well and purchase it. It recovered very quickly. We then saw that it was no longer the value proposition that we thought it was, so we exited. So we, we have been short-term at times. And do you ever exit because you're disappointed with the investment? Yeah, you're always going to make some mistakes. And early in the fund's life, there were probably three investments we made that uh, in hindsight were mistakes. And two of them we exited. One we still hold to this day and we still believe there's substantial upside to it in time. The other two was a painful lesson. We probably were too confident in our analysis and the market didn't agree with our analysis and, and never agreed with it. Uh, so we did exit and we probably should have exited sooner and that was a learning for us. So yes, you know, when, when, when things have gone against you and it changes your investment thesis, you really do have to look at, is this an investment we want to be in anymore? So you've got 20 to 25 uh, investments in the fund at the current time. As you get new capital into the fund, do you just add to anymore. those investments? And is there a limit to the number of investments you can manage? We're actually at, I just counted 35 positions on the last balance day. And some of those are very small and things that we are exiting but haven't exited completely. So it's a larger number than we'd prefer, but 35 is where we've been at. And we'd probably say 40 is the most we would ever go to. 25 to 30 is ideal. Um, in terms of managing concentration, we don't mind concentration. We like to back the investments that we really have high conviction in, but we generally put a cap of 10% on acquiring an investment. So we would buy that stock up until it was 10% of the portfolio. If it increased in value thereafter, we don't need to sell the stock, but our strategy would be not to purchase more at that point in time. Sounds like very active uh, policy because not only are you investing in funds, but you're also active in the management of the funds. Does that put added pressure on you in the, in the management of the, the fund? I like to use the word constructive. I know, I know some people talk about activist investing um, and that generally has some negative connotations in that people think of activists as someone who wants to come in and chop something up and flog pieces off. And sometimes some of the parts valuations do make sense, but our view of how we deal with companies is that we want to be constructive and we, we want to work with companies. We really didn't like the company, we'd rather not be there in the first place. Um, does it put more pressure on us? I mean, once we put our name next to a business and we tell our investors that we're investing in this business, we want to optimise the outcome. And if we can optimise the outcome by rolling our sleeves up and getting involved, then I, I think that helps us manage the pressure rather than sitting on the sideline, reporting back to investors about what the company has or has not done and um, not having actively done anything to improve the course. And it presumably gives you a very special insight into how the company is, is travelling. But as long-term investors, you're happy to, to manage that? So not, not in every single case. So we, we would assess whether we want to be inside or not. But once we've made that commitment to be inside, we've obviously taken the view that we're um, very happy to be there on that journey and... Um, suffer the, I guess, the cost from an investor perspective of not being able to trade the stock whenever you wish. Sure. 
And and I guess from your investee company's perspective, that's very useful because you're able to give them the benefit of your experience across 20 or 25, 35 other different small companies. We'd like to think so. And I think you know, not, no one can be good at everything. And so we come across CEOs and, and founders who know their business really well, know their industry really well, but they don't all know capital markets really well. Um, they may not all know M&A consolidation really well. They may not know um, the, the investor universe really well. And they're things that, you know, that's been the world I've grown up in since I started working the beginning of 2000 at the height of the dot-com bubble. Um, and so I believe that we, we do add value and I think that's been proven in a few examples. And a great one for us is a small listed company called Scout Security that I'm currently a director of. And Scout's share price kind of wallowed down to four cents a share post-COVID epidemic. And it's a company that we always liked. It's a, it's a company with a SaaS and hardware solution for home security. So you subscribe, uh, you get your security equipment in the mail, you connect up your house, it connects to real security uh, monitoring and you can mo monitor it yourself from your application and you pay a subscription fee for that. And it has a great strategic partner in a large security company called Prosegur, who took a long time to get to market. So they were wallowing in this period where they had a commercial agreement, but they hadn't actually executed the business strategy and got to market it with that partner. And so we came in and, and helped them raise some capital in a convertible note that converted at seven cents versus the four cents. Uh, I joined the board after that. And then we then raised another round of capital at 13 cents from memory, which has now set the company up. Um, in the last few weeks, it's now gone commercial with that partner, Prosegur. And uh, we, we think we're hoping for great things in the year ahead from that company. And do you tend to find that you're in that new economy, IT, tech, fintech area, just because that's where the growth is at the current time? Uh, there's two reasons. Yes, I, I would say that's definitely where the growth is, but also that's where our background and knowledge is. Um, don't give me a mining stock. I guarantee you if I buy a mine stock, it's a bad sign. So that's not part of our universe. We're not going to go there. I'm not a geologist, but I've grown up in financial services, fintech, technology, in industrial land. Um, my first job when I left, left university was at what would now be a fintech. There was a dot-com IPO called InvestorWeb. And so that, that's the world that I know really well. And therefore I feel confident in Investing in that world, unfortunately for us, I do believe that's where the greatest growth opportunities are. The numbers over the past 12 months, I mean, it was a difficult time uh, for everyone, really, in the in the first quarter of 2020. But you're up now 50 or 60% in the last 12 months. Do you see this continuing? Pleased with those numbers. And, you know, we, I think you have to amortise those over a greater period of time. We're not going to claim to do 60% per annum uh, year in, year out. Um, and we had some great contributors to that return. Scout Security was one. Another is an unlisted investment called Illoom, which is based in Brisbane and has a um, digital diagnostics platform that's got some fame lately for a COVID test that the US government has put some serious money into. Um, we have a, num a number of other unlisted opportunities that we, we really like. We have some core holdings in the listed space 
that we think have a long way to go. So we're, we're very optimistic about the prospects for the fund in the next medium term period. And, we, and we're not going to forecast month to month and we expect a lot of volatility in what we do when it tends to be smaller companies uh, that by their nature are more volatile, less liquid. But uh, over the medium term, we're, we're very confident with where we're positioned. Martin Pretty, thank you very much indeed for your time. Um, nice to speak to you and best of luck with the fund. Thank you so much for your time, Chris.